I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Falling in love is the best feeling in the world. You see stars, you feel giddy, but sometimes that makes you do crazy things. And sometimes that means murder. Just because a story starts out with Once Upon a Time doesn't mean it ends happily ever after. Welcome to Crazy in Love, a production of KT Studios and iHeartRadio. Today's guests are true crime producers Stephanie Lidecker and Jeff Shane. Episode 29, The Case of the Kayak, The Island, and The Demon. Vince Viafor, or Vinny, as his loved ones called him, was always the life of the party. Born and raised in Poughkeepsie, New York, Vinny was known as a fun-loving guy who loved to cook barbecue ribs and dance. A former altar boy, he was very close with his mother, who admitted that despite his boyish charm, he wasn't always an angel. After dropping out of college, he found success working for New York State as a construction project manager. The one thing his life was missing was a partner. After two unsuccessful marriages, the 46-year-old had resolved that perhaps he was meant to be a bachelor. Meanwhile, a 20-year-old striking blonde named Angelika Groswald moved to America from Latvia, Russia. She came to the States to be a nanny, but quickly realized that taking care of an entire house was not for her. Angelika began bartending, and over the next 13 years, as she poured whiskey sours and vodka sodas, she realized her true passion was photography. In 2013, the pair met and had an instant connection. Like Vinny, Angelica too had been married twice before. But for both of them, this relationship felt different. Vinny told friends he wanted to have kids with Angelica, which for him was very unusual. It was clear to those who knew the couple they were truly in love. In February 2014, they went to dinner at a hibachi steakhouse and Vinny spontaneously proposed. In fact, he used an onion straight from the grill as a ring. Beaming, Angelica said yes. The couple made plans to get married in Angelica's homeland on a beach overlooking the Baltic Sea. With wedding planning in full swing, Angelica quit her job. She focused on making Vinny happy and photography. Her only real responsibility was volunteering one day a week on Bannerman Island. Bannerman Island is a century-old island on the Hudson River that was once used to store weapons. Now, it's that abandoned with castle-like structures. A popular destination for tourists, Angelica helped maintain the grounds. She enjoyed going to the islands because there were lots of photo opportunities. Here's Stephanie. Angelica and Vinny were both very spunky, open, friendly. They were risk takers and they liked living on the edge. In fact, a lot of their interests overlapped. They enjoyed hiking and shooting pool and they led very active social lives. The biggest shared interest they had, though, was kayaking. They were both obsessed with hitting the water. 
So despite all those things that were positive, the couple did have some issues. According to Angelica, Vinny had a very high sex drive and would push her to do things that she wasn't necessarily comfortable with, like threesomes. He also had a bit of a temper and would get mad at her over small stuff. One of the things that really pushed his buttons was the fact that she wasn't working. As we know, Angelica's only real responsibility was volunteering at Bannerman Island, a local tourist destination. Vinny really wanted her to get a job, so much so that by April 2015, he gave her an ultimatum. Find employment or move out. It seems like Steph, they have these interests, you know, they're, they like living on the edge, as you said. And so maybe a high sex drive and doing things out of the quote unquote norm box kind of goes hand in hand in that. And that's what explain why Vinny had kind of some proclivities that most of us don't partake in. But it sounds like Angelica wasn't necessarily comfortable with those things. Understood. And also being pushed to do something sexually that you're not comfortable with is definitely a huge red flag. Yeah, totally. Also, I think it seems like one of the reasons Vinny fell in love with Angelica was because she was this free-spirited who liked to have fun and was kind of wild. And then when push came to shove and bills had to get paid, he maybe got a little frustrated with the fact that she wasn't supporting the household the way he was. And so he kind of wanted something from her that maybe wasn't in her nature. Good point. April 19th, 2015 was an unseasonably warm Sunday in New York. Vinny and Angelica made plans to kayak to Bannerman Island. According to Angelica, Vinny had woken up with a hangover, so the couple got a late start for their trip. The entire trip should have taken around 90 minutes on the water each way. After a few beers and some photographs, the couple started the trek home. However, the wind had picked up significantly and the water was rough. At 7.40 p.m., when the pair was about 20 minutes from shore, Angelica called 911 in a panic. Vinny's kayak had flipped and he was struggling to stay afloat. Despite the rescuer's best efforts to get there in time, Vinny went under. Here's the 911 call. Tell me exactly what happened. We are kayaking. My fiance flipped over. He's in the water right now. Right, does he have a life vest on? Angelica, Angelica, can you hear me? Angelica, are you still with me? Okay, Angelica, can you hear me? Angelica. And can you hear me? Hi, can you hear me now? Can you hear me? I can hear you. It's pretty harrowing though. I mean, you really hear the struggle and panic in her voice as she's trying to save the one person that she loves. I couldn't imagine anything worse. 
In fact, when rescuers arrived by boat, they pulled Angelica out of the frigid water and it looked like it was the most tragic accident. Police even said their heart ached for Angelica. She was desperate and devastated. The next day, police and family started searching for Vinny. And I think it's important to note that they waited until sunrise because it was the dead of night at this point and it was freezing and dark and the waters were very dangerous. They found his blue kayak, but no Vinny. Officials brought in scuba teams, canines, boats, and helicopters from all over the state. The city literally shut down. This is a case that really affected New Yorkers. And at the time, it felt as though everybody was invested in finding Vinny. Like you said, Steph, it was dangerous, which was why kayaking experts immediately started questioning what the couple was doing out on the water in the first place. While Angelica wore a life vest, Vinny did not, which goes against everything an experienced kayaker would say to do. Neither of the couple wore a wetsuit, which is also required for anyone who knows what they're doing in a kayak, especially at those temperatures. Plus, the boats they owned wouldn't have been suitable for the Hudson River. A close inspection of the couple's kayaks showed whitewater kayaks, not river kayaks, which is what they were doing. In general, kayakers who plan to cover long distances in choppy water, like the Hudson, would choose a boat that is long, around 13 to 15 feet, such as a touring kayak. A touring kayak also has twin bulkheads or sealed off hollow areas in the bow and stern, assuring maximum buoyancy. Whitewater kayaks are short and there's little to no flotation. They're basically the worst choice for the Hudson River, which makes you question why Vinny would choose a kayak like that for that area. It just kind of shows that maybe he wasn't as experienced as he thought he was. Plus, there was a storm coming in that evening. And so even if they had all the proper tools in place, Vinny and Angelica should not have been kayaking at all. When you really look at this, this was a recipe for disaster because they were drinking, there was a storm coming, they weren't wearing life vests. None of this really adds up, frankly, especially since we know Vinny was an experienced kayaker. Do we know anything about what Angelica was doing while everyone was looking for her fiance? That's the strangest part about this case. And anyone who's from the East Coast probably remembers this very well because she was acting so strange. Oddly, she was doing cartwheels at a vigil for Vinny. And some of her friends say that she saw Angelica at a bar doing karaoke singing Hotel California. And on social media posts, she was posting videos of herself doing shots, smoking cigars, and even doing gymnastics. Again, not normal behavior when you're in crisis. Angelica also invited the cops to suspend their search and come over to the bar and have a drink at the bar to celebrate his life. Needless to say, they declined. It reminds me of Amanda Knox and her reaction when police were interrogating her. She got a lot of flack for not behaving the way we expect someone who is in that situation to behave. And, and that doesn't necessarily make someone guilty. It doesn't make somebody guilty, but if you could imagine Vinny's friends and family and all of the police are out searching for him, they're desperate. This is a hideous, tragic situation. So for his you know, main person, the person who was with him at the time of the accident, for her to be partying at this time, it also reminds me a little bit of Jodi Arias, who infamously during her confession was doing yoga and doing headstands and singing Amazing Grace and behaving in a way that was very odd, to say the least. It does remind me of Casey Anthony, though, because as we know, when Casey Anthony's daughter went missing in between her quote unquote going missing and 
the time they found the body, Casey was out at the bar drinking, having fun with her friends. And so this is a little similar to that, that in this critical time, she's not doing what we expect a grieving fiance would do. That being said, she just saw her fiance drown right in front of her eyes. And so maybe she's trying to blow off steam or numb the pain with alcohol. I suppose, but if she's gonna be numbing the pain with alcohol, she should still be out searching for Vinny and her loved ones. And she should still be helping police and helping families search for Vinny, despite the fact that she might need to lay off some steam. Now's not the time. I agree. It would be a slap in the face to be his family. 10 days after going into the water, there was no sign of Vinny. Fearing the worst, detectives decided to visit Bannerman Island to see if they missed anything. They told Angelique their plan, who told them she also would be at the island releasing flowers in her fiancé's honor. On the island, three officers and Angelica went through their final day together. Angelica showed them spots where they had taken photos and had a few beers. As the grim tour continued, Angelica's behavior grew increasingly bizarre. She chain-smoked cigarettes and began to cry. According to the officers, as they walked through the woods, the grieving fiancé made a startling confession. Allegedly, Vinny had an insatiable sexual appetite that disturbed her. Stunned, the police thought she might be more comfortable one-on-one, so an officer took her down to the shore to talk. As the water gently lapped on the rocky beach, Angelica began to calm down. She lit another cigarette and turned to the officer. Quote, You know about the plug, right? She questioned. Confused, the officer asked her to explain. According to the officer, Angelica told him that all kayaks have a drain and she thought she might have taken Vinny's out. Angelica continued saying that she also dismantled the paddle, making it inoperable. Did she do this because she wanted him dead? The officer asked Angelica and according to him, her answer was a concise yes. Unprepared for this beachside confession, the officer had no recording device nor a pen to write it down. Because of that, the detectives didn't arrest her on the spot, but instead took Angelica back to the mainland. On the boat ride home, Angelica allegedly threw up her hands and proclaimed she was free. Not so fast, because back at the police station, police began a marathon 11-hour interrogation. They needed her to confess on tape. However, now she was even cagier. While she admitted she was, quote, euphoric when he died, she also said she'd try to help him. She then said that Vinny's sexual urges had really taken its toll, and he made her watch porn and participate in group sex. That was just the beginning of the interrogation. Angelica would go on to describe her feelings, the exact moment Vinny went under the water. She said, and I quote, I'm like ripping into halves, you know, angels and demons. The demon side, it's not a good side. And that side was telling me this is going to happen. Just let it. But the good side was save him, save him, save him. Her conduct was very peculiar. And during the breaks, she could be seen checking herself out in the mirror and doing yoga. She literally was playing hopscotch around the room. See, now this does really remind me of Amanda Knox, who was cleared of the murder of her roommate. And she was seen doing kind of the same thing during her interrogation with the police. She has since said that she did that as kind of a release of all this pent up energy. You're sitting in this tiny box of a room being interrogated for hours and hours by police, being accused of something you're claiming you didn't do. And you need to get that energy out of you. And so as soon as you have a break, you just kind of want to move around. 
So perhaps that's what Angelica was doing too. Possibly. Finally, after hours and many attempts at getting her to confess, Angelica did. Take a listen to a portion of the interrogation. What is it? I wanted him dead, and now he's gone. Right? By taking that plug out, you killed Benny. Correct? Correct. And you wanted that to happen, correct? Wow. Yeah, that confession was enough to arrest and charge her with second-degree murder. Oddly enough, though, after being read her rights, Angelica's big concern was not facing life in prison, but in fact her cat, Rascal. She asked officers to bring her the feline, which they said no to. They said no to bringing her cat to her confession? Can you imagine? Yeah, that was the first thing she cared about. We're going to take a break. We'll be back in just a moment. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. I watched this confession tape so many times, and I often wondered, is it possible that she confessed under duress? Basically, that means that under the stress and pressure of the police, maybe Angelica broke and made a false confession because she thought that's what officers wanted to hear, and she really just wanted to put an end to it. She had been there for 11 hours. They do say statistically that 15% of all exonerations involve a false confession. Having never personally been in a interrogation, I would imagine it's a very exhausting experience. And at some point, somebody might say something just to have this whole process end. I mean, I can imagine you're feeling constant pressure from the detectives accusing you of doing something. And you're already not in the right frame of mind because you just lost someone that you loved. And maybe you just think this is the easiest way to get out of the situation and just close this chapter. Yes, but imagine your loved one is lost or missing or dead. Wouldn't you do everything in your power, whether that took 11 hours or 1 million hours, you would do anything you possibly could to help aid the search or help find who did it? Yeah, I look at this, I either think Angelica was extremely insensitive and guilty, or she just was so out of touch with the gravity of the situation because she's, you know, doing shots and cartwheels and asking for her cat in the midst of all this. That either tells me she doesn't care at all, or she just doesn't understand what's fully happening. Police also re-examined the paddle and found that the safety ring was in fact missing. She was correct. And that's something they missed the first time around because they just didn't really know what they were looking for at the time of the accident. And police also re-looked at the timing of the 911 call. Now, you'll remember, we just heard it. That 911 call was harrowing. She sounded desperate. Tell me exactly what happened. We are kayaking. My fiance flipped over. He's in the water right now. Does he have a life vest on? 
34 days after going missing, police found Vinny's body in the water. Meanwhile, the prosecution and defense were both preparing what was sure to be an explosive trial. And police also did a new search of Angelica's car. And get this, they found the plug and the paddle's missing emergency ring in her car, which did not look good for her. You know, listeners, I would Google a picture of a kayak plug because it's small. I mean, it's like the size of the top of a two liter soda bottle. It's not big. So it does seem hard to believe that that much water could get into this hole and cause it to sink, especially with Vinny being aware of that and maybe trying to paddle out of it. But that being said, the water could have been very, very rough that day. Angelica had said that the plug had been out for a while and that Vinny often kayaked without the plug. In fact, surveillance photos from the day of his death show the kayak tied to the top of Vinny's car with a rope through the plug. Speaking of circumstantial evidence, Angelica's strange behavior following Vinny's death couldn't be ignored. Police also discovered that Angelica stood to benefit from being a beneficiary of Vinny's $500,000 life insurance policy. That's a half a million dollars, possibly motive enough. Not necessarily, Steph. As soon as she was arrested, Angelica signed over all of that money to her lawyer without pause. Her attorney described her in a later interview as, quote unquote, a simple girl from a simple country who cared more about flowers and sunsets than money. All that aside, please tell me the confession itself would be bulletproof during the trial. Well, not necessarily, because as you remember, Angelica's initial confession, which cops said was point blank period, I killed him, wasn't recorded or written down. So her defense attorney disputed that she actually even made the island confession. It was ultimately her word against theirs. Angelica's lawyer said that the three cops trapped her on the island and emotionally manipulated her. He also said that had she actually confessed there on the beach like they said she had, the police would have arrested her immediately. Remember, they took Angelica back on the boat at her own free will. As for her confession in the station, you could start to nitpick what she said, and that's exactly what her defense did. Angelica told police, quote unquote, I wanted him dead. That's different than actually admitting to killing him herself. I remember at the time, as a New Yorker myself, that because she was very beautiful and that Vinny was very handsome, it seemed as though the defense was really pushing to the fact that she was such a nice girl. Look how beautiful she is. Look how nice she appears. There's no way she could have done this. It really goes to show that sometimes a person's appearance can really influence whether or not we think they're guilty. I mean, this case really would have come down to the trial. And it seems like every argument the prosecution was going to make, the defense had a counter argument that could have had some validity with the jurors. So once it went to trial, it really would have just been up to these 12 men and women to make a judgment call whether or not they believed that Angelica was guilty or not guilty. And this was one of those cases that had all New Yorkers on the edge because, first of all, I never even knew that a person could kayak in the Hudson River, nor would I imagine you would do so without a life preserver at night when there was an impending storm. But because she was so attractive and they were such a good-looking couple, it just seemed too far-fetched that she would actually murder him, get away with it, do yoga stands, do shots at the bar, go with friends and act very cavalier about it. Vinny made his own choices that led to his death. How could she force him not to wear a life vest? Or how could she force him to use the plug hole to tie the kayak to the car? Like Those are all things that he decided to do 
independent of her, seemingly. Let's stop here for another break. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. I find it interesting that this case really was blown open by Angelica confessing to the crime herself. They didn't have any evidence against her. All the evidence against her is circumstantial, which I just find fascinating. As Vinny's family anxiously awaited their day in court, prosecutors offered Angelica a plea deal she couldn't refuse. Angelica pleaded guilty to a lesser charge of criminally negligent homicide, admitting that she knew about the missing plug, bad weather, and Vinny's lack of safety gear, but did not intend for him to die. Angelica served 32 months in prison. Shameless plug. If you're enjoying Crazy in Love, leave us a review. Season three of the Piketon Massacre, Return to Pike County, is in the works. We want to hear from you for the upcoming season. Do you have a story to tell, a connection to Pike County, Or is there another case local to Pike County that you can't let go of? Please email info at kt-studios.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at kt underscore studios. Crazy in Love is produced by Stephanie Lidecker, Jeff Shane, Chris Graves, and me, Courtney Armstrong. Editing and sound design by Jeff Twa. Crazy in Love is a production of iHeartRadio and KT Studios. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Stay safe, lovers. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.